From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget appropriations reporter. And Democrats are going home for the holidays without the big Christmas present that they all wanted. The Build Back Better reconciliation package has stalled. Democrats have been racing the clock to try to pass it by Christmas, and the clock has won out. And they acknowledge that over the last couple of days, this thing is going to take more time if it's going to happen at all. And we're in now for a long slog into the new year in trying to pass, for them to try to get this passed, Jen. It's not looking so hopeful. Right. This has been a decision that seems to have been weeks or potentially even months in the making. West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin has signaled for quite some time now that he is uncomfortable um, with various policy elements in Democrats' roughly $2.2 trillion reconciliation package. He's also recently listed bigger picture concerns that Democrats probably couldn't address through negotiations with him. Predominantly, he's said that he is um, a little bit wary about passing another large-scale spending bill um, because of the possible impacts that he thinks it might have on inflation throughout the country. That's something the Biden White House and Democratic leaders um, have tried to address with him, but he still keeps mentioning that as one of his concerns. And so really, we've heard from Manchin for a long time now that He wasn't fully supportive of this package, even after Democrats moved it from about $3.5 trillion to about $1.75 trillion and then moved it back up again. Um, And even though talks continue predominantly between President Joe Biden and um, Senator Manchin, seems like everyone else is just going to be in a holding package on this legislative item for quite some time. Yeah, and the longer it goes on, it 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 the, the momentum has just really faded. It's gotten harder and harder for them to amass any kind of consensus over this. And the last couple of weeks, I think, have been really bruising for the for Democratic hopes. You know, they faced a couple of headwinds here. They all along they faced the headwinds of the pandemic. I mean, with everybody focused on COVID, it's really been hard to galvanize much attention in the public for this package, which is more of a long-term, you know, 10 years worth of spending initiatives on stuff that they're not focusing on right now when they're dealing with a pandemic. And then, of course, inflation. And the inflation thing, Republicans have ridden that. It's huge ammunition for Republicans to say, you're moving too quickly. We're overheating the economy already. You want to dump trillions more spending into this. Look what you're going to do. Inflation's already bad enough. We got to stop this train. And they've had an attentive ear. And that's Joe Manchin. And you saw Republican budget leaders this week hold news conferences to stress how this package is going to cost too much. They they requested their own analysis from the Congressional Budget Office to say, if all these programs were made permanent, this thing is twice the cost that it's advertised at. And the whole point of that, they openly acknowledged they were speaking to an audience of one, which was Joe Manchin <laughs> and Lindsey Graham, the, the top Republican on the, on the Senate Budget Committee, 
looked right into the camera and kept addressing Joe Manchin. Do you hear me, Joe Manchin? Look at this report. And, and he even said, it's Manchin who really requested this. And that's why Graham made the request for this analysis. The whole focus has been trying to win Joe Manchin's vote on this, to block it. And Manchin is the leading figure now. He's, he's straddling both sides, and he's been dragging out this process, much to the frustration of most Democrats, including President Biden. Right. And to step back and talk about that CBO score that Graham and House budget ranking member uh, Jason Smith of Missouri have been really talking about a lot in the last week or so, that score has really frustrated Democratic leaders. Um, and Senator Joe Manchin's reaction to that score has really frustrated them as well, because Democratic leaders, uh, Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer, have said repeatedly, if they extend some of these programs in the future in legislation, they plan on finding ways to pay for it. And so they say that this is not something that's really going to run up the deficit or the debt in the long term, because if they want to extend the child tax credit again, or they want to continue um, sort of spending caps on how much individuals pay for childcare. They've said that down the road, if they want to do that, they will find ways to pay for it. And the other aspect there that a lot of people have been commenting on is that, you know, in the future, it's not really a guarantee that Democrats have control of the House, the Senate, and the White House when some of these programs are set to expire. And so if those programs were to continue past the end date that Democrats have written into this reconciliation package, Democrats would most likely have to work with Republicans on them. And so how those are paid for and what extensions look like would probably have to be bipartisan. Because remember, the only time that Democrats or Republicans can use this fast-track budget reconciliation process to get around the Senate 60-vote legislative filibuster is when they have unified control of government because the House and Senate have to adopt a budget resolution and you have to have a president willing to sign that legislation. And so there's a lot of factors going on with that score that some Democrats, particularly more progressive Democrats, feel Manchin is not acknowledging accurately. Right. You make a good point. Democrats called it a fake score, essentially, because it assumes that all these programs would be extended without without any new money for them. And so it would add $3 trillion to the deficits over 10 years. And, and of course, they do say, well, we will pay for it. But then the question, it, that didn't satisfy Manchin. That's the problem. Because then the question is, well, how? Put your put Show your cards on the table. How are you going to pay for it? Because until we know that, Manchin is not comfortable with it. And that's the same argument Republicans made was, if you're not going to add $3 trillion to the deficit, show me how you, where's the money going to come from? Because these programs will get extended once you create them. And so that's where there's a, there's a disconnect and they can't, they can't win Manchin over. And that's a real problem. And they've got to cut a deal with him in the next couple of weeks. Uh, Biden and Manchin are trying, they've had more talks this week, but they've got to cut a deal with him on how much is this really going to cost? How much are they really going to be able to pay for? Is there some price tag Manchin can accept here? Because this ain't it right now. That's the fundamental challenge they have, it seems to me. And if it doesn't happen in January, boy, it really gets tough because the closer you get to the midterm elections next year, uh, you know, paralysis sets in and 
and and nothing happens and you get a lot of finger pointing on both sides. I mean, this was their real one shot. And, you know, this also demonstrates, Jen, I think the, the problem they have, this was a huge gamble to pass basically Biden's entire domestic agenda in this one bill using reconciliation. It, it's a big gamble because when you stuff everything they want into one bill, they're using a process that really wasn't designed for this, right? Reconciliation was really designed initially to just be a deficit-cutting measure. That's why they allowed for a streamlined process for the simple majority vote. They just wanted to make sure the numbers add up. It wasn't really designed to push huge policy priorities, you know, ram them through one party line votes. And that's what they're doing here because they think without Republican support, this is their only shot of passing their whole agenda while Democrats control the Congress. And we saw the challenge this week in that and how the gamble doesn't always pay off because now they're going to be facing huge procedural challenges to what and what does not qualify for reconciliation under Senate rules. And they suffered another setback this week because the Senate parliamentarian ruled that the latest effort at an immigration overhaul doesn't qualify for reconciliation. They can't put it in the bill. So yet another setback for them as they try to cram all these policy priorities into this bill, things are going to have to start to give. Right. And you do make a good point there that Senator Joe Manchin and ongoing negotiations with him isn't the only aspect that prevented Democrats from bringing this measure to the Senate floor before that self-imposed Christmas deadline, right? Because they are using this rather particular and specific budget reconciliation process to advance this legislation through Congress, there's a lot of uh, sort of guardrails around that and things that Democrats have to make sure they're doing in order to comply with what is referred to in the Senate as the bird bath. And that's that various elements of this package have to fit within the rules. And so in doing that, Democrats have presented their case to the Senate parliamentarian, of course, behind closed doors. Republicans then go in and present their case for why various elements of this package should not be allowed to advance in the Senate. And then the two parties have somewhat started that process where they both kind of debate, if you will, in front of the Senate parliamentarian and her staff uh, about why certain provisions comply with those bird rules in the Senate or why certain, certain aspects of this package do not meet the threshold for continuing on. And that is ongoing as well. And that is something that we've sort of seen some news, particularly about the immigration provision come out. Um, throughout the past few months, as Democrats have really tried to figure out a way to get that provision in the final bill um, unsuccessfully so far. And so that is another element that will likely be continuing into January as well. Yeah. So, Jen, I think what everybody wants to know is, so what happens now in January? The Senate is supposed to come back January 3rd, as soon as the new year's over. What kind of magic can they strike here? And what, what are the practical steps now that need to happen in January that might give this a shot at, at, at being able to pass? So I think one of the first steps is trying to address um, the parliamentarian sort of birdbath process. I think practically, 
Democrats need to know what can be in or what can be out because there is a possibility that some of the disputes with Manchin might get kicked out in that Senate parliamentarian process. Um, probably not a lot of them, but you know, if you're debating with Manchin about one of the issues he's not comfortable with and then the Senate parliamentarian says it does not comply with the rules of this process, you know, you can just sort of cross that off your to-do list if you're Democratic leaders or President Biden. And so I think practically you probably want to get through the rest of the birdbath um, to know what is sort of procedurally allowed to go to the Senate floor. And then I think simultaneously, President Joe Biden and his staff and congressional Democratic leaders um, will continue talking with Joe Biden um, sort of in one ear as you have uh, Republicans in Joe Manchin's other ear kind of raising those concerns about inflation and about what Republicans say might be the true cost of the bill in that 10-year budget window. And I think one of the things we should point out is that one of the reasons Democrats imposed that Christmas deadline on themselves is because the expansion of the child tax credit that Democrats included in their $1.9 trillion COVID relief package earlier this year is set to expire at the end of the year. And so that is something that Democrats were really hoping to avoid in passing the Build Back Better Act before the end of the year um, to continue that expansion of the child tax credit, but that will not happen. And so we have heard from Speaker Nancy Pelosi um, that if this process had to go into January, which it now will do, she was hoping to look at a way to make that expansion potentially retroactive. And so those conversations are going to be going on as well. And so I think Democratic leaders really don't want to get that far into January until they can move this bill through the Senate. But of course, um, as much as they may want to move on a fast timeline, Joe Manchin is really the one determining that. Yeah. And the child tax credit has been a huge sticking point, of course, because of the cost, right? I mean, that's one of the key drivers here where if you make it, if you make these programs permanent, I think the child tax credit alone, you know, they, they could only afford to extend it for a year under this bill. If you make that permanent over 10 years, it's it's over a trillion dollars in new costs that has to be paid for. That's that's one of the that's why that's such a huge issue, is just the sheer cost of it. And Republicans are complaining that they've given up on the idea of having a work requirement, that it's a it's a payment for everyone, regardless of whether they work. And that doesn't sit well with Republicans, but of course they're not key to passing this. So we don't know. I don't, I don't know if, if Manchin insists on the work requirement or not, but that's another issue to this. That's one of the huge obstacles to this whole package, along with another. Uh, there's, there's several others, Jen, right? There's there's a methane fee, um, a fee on methane emissions as part of their climate change program that Manchin doesn't like uh, and several more. Right. And so aside from the parliamentary process, and aside from addressing some of Manchin's sort of bigger picture concerns, there are still some rather challenging policy disagreements among Democrats uh, in this legislation. And so those negotiations are going to be ongoing, uh, predominantly with Manchin, because it seems like at this point, Manchin is really the one member of the Senate Democratic Caucus that is not on board with this. Right. Uh, and then we haven't even talked about, but Democrats among themselves haven't ironed out how they want to lift a cap on state and local tax deductions uh, and the, this paid family leave program that Manchin doesn't like. They're still trying to find some compromise on that because they don't want to give up on that whole idea of, for the first time, having a, a national program to to uh, help workers take time off if for a sick relative or for giving, having a baby. 
huge issues here that that have that are yet to be resolved. It does bring up the question, Jen, if if this proves too too big of an apple to chew, can they break it up into pieces and and sort of start from scratch here and 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 take it one chunk at a time? I don't see Democrats doing that. I think you're gonna run into something similar in terms of concerns from progressives or centrists that you ran into uh, with the bipartisan budget package, right? Um, Progressive Democrats really wanted to hold on to that bipartisan infrastructure bill in the House until the Senate passed the reconciliation package because progressive Democrats were really concerned that if Congress cleared that bipartisan infrastructure bill, which of course they've done, that momentum behind the larger slightly more left-leaning reconciliation package would stall in the Senate. And I think we've definitely seen some of those fears from progressive Democrats um, sort of come to light in the past week, and they have begun sort of revoicing their concerns about the order of events here. Um, And so I think if you were to try to break up the reconciliation package, say, into, you know, even just two pieces, I think there would be a lot of concerns um, from Democrats, particularly progressive Democrats, of what goes first and what goes second um, in terms of what might actually get stalled. Um, And I think that also might present sort of some procedural um, confusion within the reconciliation process as well. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing is procedurally, I don't know if it's practical because without any Republican support, you know, if you if you rely on using the reconciliation process, the problem is you only really only get one bite at the apple here, maybe two uh, if you work some procedural magic. Um, it gets complicated, but at most you could break it into two pieces, I think, and I'm not sure that that helps you much. So it's it's a re- it's it, January is now going to be a critical month for for making something happen because it seems like you know the longer this drags out momentum for it is 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 going to start to fade pretty fast. I guess they get a holiday break, but <laughs> they'll be back at it early January uh and and hope they can they're going to try again and hope they can pass something. All of President Biden's agenda domestically uh is on the line with this package uh and we don't know where as 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 of now it's stalled. And it's going to take a lot of work and some heavy lifting uh, to get it across the finish line. But CQ and Roll Call will be covering it all for you, as always. A quick programming note, uh, this is actually the last podcast for this year. Uh, We wish you all happy holidays. We're going to take a little break, but we will be back at it in the new year to cover this exciting package and a lot more. So we hope you will join us then. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, 
or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week.